my mom is uh, over there and bangalore is my i kind of i stayed there as a uh, in my teenage years so yeah i i think i i saw one of your talks when uh, you mentioned that uh, you had been there and uh, i'm not sure but i think it was one of some one of the babas or the gurujis over there you spent some time if you don't mind i have another student calling i'll uh-huh. let him in on the call is that okay I can only see above your eyebrows. That's this better. Is better. That's okay. Better. Great. Good. So, uh, uh, this is Sri Harsh. He is in uh, Mumbai. And Daniel, where are you? I'm in uh, Thailand at the moment. We're, we're in Thailand now. Uh, between Chiang Mai and uh, and Pai. Between Chiang Mai and where? Have you heard of Pai? I haven't heard it yet. It's a pretty touristy place. It's a pretty small no, no, village. Just but... repeat the name of it three or four times so that I can hear it. Pai. So P A I. P A I. The locals call it Pai. Yeah. That's Are right. you sure about that? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> All right. Is that your chicken? <laughs> uh, <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sitting here on the on the balcony, and uh, there are the chickens. Okay. In a coffee shop, drinking All some right. tea because that's the only thing I can have on this water fast. I'm actually working on my fourth day now. And uh, working, you look like you're really working hard to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, relaxing, relaxing into my working my in a hammock. I got that. Well, I can say that the the journey to the coffee shop, which was about five minutes, was very, very intense on my body. Like I had to stop about every thirty meters because my yeah, because I was so exhausted. <laughs> oh, it's a, a steep hill climb, huh? Uh, it's more that my body barely has any fuel. Well, never mind your body. Tell me about the hill. Uh, the hill is very steep, that I can tell you. Pardon? Uh, the hill is indeed very steep, uh, since this is in the mountains. Okay, every time that you climb the hill, it will become a little bit easier. <laughs> because you're getting you built up the strength. This is a skill that's developed actually within the, the, the legs themselves and your yeah. attitude. And right oh, now yeah. your attitude is, is that the hill is a whole lot bigger than your mind is. Pretty yeah. soon you'll have the attitude, oh, I can climb this thing. There's nothing to it. Even <laughs> if I have to stop and rest three times, that's still okay. I can do this. I can do this. That's that's right. That's the attitude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, if you guys don't mind, let's do it this way. Since this is uh, uh, this, uh, time, uh, let's let uh, Daniel, let's, you just kind of follow along because whatever we do will be a review and you need it. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Everything has to be done over and over and over again. That's the quality of simple things. There's nothing yeah. much to a drop of water. <laughs> but if you keep dropping water in a bucket, pretty soon it'll fill up. And if you keep doing that long enough, you've got an ocean. Stop looking for oceans and stop looking for ponds and start looking at this moment, this breath. And I put one step on the next. Right. right. I agree. So that's why I think you need a review is because you've heard this before until you meet a hill and then you're back into the old mindset. Of that. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> I was just listening. All right. So, um, uh, Sri Harsh, uh, what kind of practice have you had? Uh, so I, I think it was in 2017 I went for my first Goenka retreat. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, before. Where? That Jai- was in. No, it was. was Jaipur, uh, Hyderabad, Damagiri. Yes, I've been to the, the one in Hyderabad was my favorite. Hyderabad was my favorite. But uh, I my first one was in Karnal, in this very small, obscure one in Haryana. It's very other one. There are so many here. Yeah, uh, there's been quite a lot of interesting things come out of the Jaipur uh, center. I've heard of one incident, an incident, but I mean, everybody just tells me the food is the best in the Jaipur one. That's what oh. I know. Well, uh, that's possibly worth putting up with the Tartarian uh, volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you know how to handle authorities. Yeah, I think that uh, it took me, a, it took me, a, I had to go to like three or four or five of them to figure out that there's a little bit of an authority happening, situation happening. <laughs> now, let me ask you this kind of question. It's since it's been 40 years since I've been in India and in Guanka retreat, how do you think that I know all about all of the things that we've just been talking about? Because, <laughs> because, my- because there's an internet, that's why. <laughs> but yes, I agree. Hyderabad is in fact was my favorite also. But it depends upon what time of year, because it could get ferocious. Yeah, it can be hot over there. And that one of the side benefits was is that I ran across a bunch of Hindu aesthetics that were practicing. One was practicing nakedness, another one was practicing the dog duty aesthetic. And, and the dog duty is actually in the sutras. They've been doing that kind of eating food off the ground for many centuries and it still is operational but I saw it before I saw it in the sutras so I went hot dog I know what this is all about when I read the sutra about the dog duty aesthetic <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean I, I, I just don't know why I, I'm actually I grew up in a very Hindu in a Hindu household like my parents quite religious and uh, but uh, I don't know, it's something about the Dhamma which slightly appealed to me. Yeah. Um, well, 
the Dhamma, or the Buddha at least, appeals to Indians in general. I mean, they've actually, uh, what, usurped the entire teaching of the Buddha and turned it into just another part of the religion of uh, Hinduism. With the 30, what, 24 Tatankara and all kinds of stuff like that, right? And he was, uh, in fact, a, um, uh, a contemporary of uh, Mahavira. Yeah. And also, they, uh, the name in the suttas for the Mahavira is uh, Nata, Nataputa, I think which gets then jokingly translated into Naga Nakaputa, which is the snake son of a snake. <laughs> yeah. Rather than Mati, which is uh, what? Oh, peace and quiet. It has to do with the word nocturne. It has to do with evening time. And so therefore sleep and rest and slumber and that sort of thing. And yet he didn't live any of that up. I mean, they were really, really heavy duty into austerities at those times. By sleeping on the ground and uh, walking around barefoot. Uh, They've got it quite stylized now. The Jains will actually carry a cane uh, or actually a little broom kind of thing. Yeah. To sweep the path in front of them. And they were wearing COVID-19 masks. Years ago, <laughs> yeah, they wear that so that the germs don't go inside. They don't want to take any life, so they just wear masks. Right. So the COVID bar. <laughs> yeah, they've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so they took that Panatipata uh, Ramani uh, very seriously. <laughs> I actually used to have quite a lot of. Um, questions about uh, also I hope my audio and everything is fine and, uh, it's fine can you but, hear me okay because I've had complaints and I've got the microphone just right here so I think that it should be able to I'm not looking it up looking at it but it's looking at directly at me <laughs> so uh, actually I uh, okay wait I kind of I forgot my question <laughs> That's all right. I'm just uh, very happy. In fact, I've had many Indian students over the time and that I very much enjoy reminiscing. And here you are with two sides of it, because most of the people that I meet that have had some Bawanka are doing it from the centers in the West, like in California. I've got some friends there. And here you are doing double duty as being in India and being into (laughs) Bawanka. Well, I mean, you know, to be very honest, like I I heard one of your um, talks and, you know, you spoke about, I mean, Goenka G not being there anymore and that actually creating a sort, sort of a barrier between, I mean, the teacher and the student in a sense. And mm-hmm. uh, another yes. thing which really struck me, like that really I felt that because I felt that, uh, you know, um, that was one thing. Another thing I felt that English was not his native language. And I was luckily lucky enough to understand him when he gave his Hindi discourses. And I did feel like there was a slight discrepancy or a, you know, there's, it's because also like they are videos and it's tough to okay. put into question, you know. If you, if you don't mind, let's turn the video recorder on. Is that, Oh, I, we've actually got it on already. <laughs> It looked, it didn't show on the screen. So, uh, <clears throat> well, 
I think that you're actually correct that the part of the problem of teaching the Goenka method in the West was that his English was not good enough to convey the subtleties that he did teach with the with the Hindus. And and also there was cultural differences that he didn't quite understand. And possibly I was one of the very first Westerners who spent a lot of time there in uh, Igatpuri anyway. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I that didn't set well with him is when Indian women would bring their uh, castanets or symbols and their mala beads for their arms and their trinkets and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, but I actually saw that it happened when he was, you know, let's put that stuff down that we're here. So that's when he started emphasizing, please do it our way. Oh, we've got Kabir calling. Well, let's just add him in if you don't mind. Hello, Kabir. Nice to meet you. Hi, likewise. Hello, Kabir. Hi. Uh, I went ahead and added you uh, onto this call, which is kind of a spontaneous call, and we were already okay. talking about uh, uh, things in India, especially Goenka. So where are you located now? Well, I'm in uh, Madrid in Spain. Okay. All right, so if you don't mind, just kind of listen along to what we're talking about. Sure. Is that okay? All right, so yeah. uh, 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 back to Shahash. The, um, how much of the Goenka retreats have you done? How many 10-day retreats have you done with, him, with that group? I've done, so I went to different centers across the country. And I did, I think I've done like seven of them and I've done two stevas, like I would, the serving, serving thing. The serving thing was quite like a new experience for me, different also. So I did a okay. few. All right, so you're pretty well steeped in the thing. That's, okay, so th we, what we were actually beginning to do was to write an apology for Goenka rather than attacking him. Okay, and so the whole idea is is that much of the problem had to do with the making it because you know that in the West that Goenka's retreats are known as a boot camp, like it's a really heavy duty kind of thing. There, but in India, um, it's already way way laid back, and so just getting them up to. Uh, uh, doing the practice is all that needs to be done but that the westerners take that differently and they wind up working really hard mm. and that there's one of the words that uh uh Goenka uses this very characteristic in english and that is you've got to work you got to work well that actually does fit then very well with the hindi but it does not fit well in English and it does not fit well with Westerners because then they get back into the struggles that the first grader does. 
You know, the, the kids are told to do their homework or learn all of this, and the kid is struggling with it because it's beyond, beyond his intellectual capabilities to do so. And so it's better to, uh, if you're going to fail, don't fail happily. You have to fail miserably, and you've got to look like that you're really working so that you can get forgiveness for your failure. And that's very strong in the West, but it's not so strong in Asia. That mentality of uh, uh, proving to the authorities how tough you are is uh, not part of the Hindi culture. And you could almost say that uh, a possibility for that has to do with the Christianity and the idea of suffering for your sins that Jesus suffered in your behalf. Right. And so here's all of that kind of suffering quality that the Western mindset has built into it. And a lot of that then is promoted by the Buddhism that has come to the West that was actually uh, uh, quite directly can be stated that Goenka had a major influence on that. Intentionally so with all of the centers that they put out, but in fact, they didn't when they built the centers in, for instance, in California or here's one in Thailand. The thing that was missing was Goenka himself because he was already dead when these places were built. Yeah. Okay, so um, that's part of the, the, the problem is, is that um, it goes back to the, the point that I'm making is, is that Goenka had every opportunity and could have developed a lineage and develop a sangha which he didn't do that he concentrated on dhamma without presenting much buddha or much sangha and i think that that had to do with the fact that when he was in burma he took what he could get from it before the burmese government kicked all of the indians out you know that story don't you okay so i don't have to go into that Okay, so he was actually almost forcibly deported. He was one of the last to go because he had so much money. And still, he didn't get a decent enough education because, after all, he was only a layman anyway. But he saw gold. He saw something so valuable that he had to take it back to India with him and set up retreat centers. He also had some fairly uh, wealthy, um, good friends that helped him to build it. So when I was there, they didn't even have a stupa or a decent meditation hall built. But they were just doing that big circle that's got pie-shaped little rooms in it. It was all that they uh, had at, at, in those days. But I could tell that Goenka had something enormously valuable that's why i stayed and kept going back to retreat after retreat after retreat but one of the things i noticed was is that he did not want like is built into the sangha of, of bhikkhus he did not want to bring anyone up to his level and train them as a teacher he didn't train anybody he didn't sit in the back of a, a of a dhamma hall listening to his student teach Dhamma, which, by the way, puts a whole lot of pressure on that student to get it right, <laughs> having the teacher in the audience. I know I've been there, done that on several occasions. 
Yeah. Okay, so that would be the mistake that he made, but it wasn't a mistake that he made. It was lack of knowledge. He didn't see the whole process of taking a young monk under your wing, training him with both the physical and the mental, and then about 10 years or so in, depending upon what you can see in a student, you start putting him into the teaching role. This is a necessary part of the practice because really the Dhamma is not learned until you can teach it. Yeah. That if you can't teach what you know, then you really don't know it very well. And then in fact, uh, because we know that we can't teach something that we forgot, we'll go look it up because we know it's important enough to tell the student, I should also, it should be important enough that I know where I got it. That's an important part also is, is that we become more familiar with the Dhamma by teaching it, but then we get even more familiar with living it because now we're kind of an example. At that, uh, and when Goenka would do that with four, five, six, maybe ten people, then he would have a, a second generation, a Sangha. That's what we're trying to develop here as a second generation Sangha for the Western West, Western world. Yeah, and the East. Come on. Yes, okay. For, uh, Can... for, for India, for sure. Uh, where is the place in India? It's actually not far. It's up on the heights uh, on the other side of Pune, where uh, there is a whole collection, like millions of Buddhists. You know that area? There's there's a new community of Buddhism in India that was started by uh, uh, Ambaka. Who oh yeah, a, yeah. That's in Maharashtra only. It's all these uh, the people do Buddhist and huge population. Ambedkar. Huge population up there. Yes. Okay. So maybe you can take your Bollywood up there and spend some time with those people. There you will possibly find Sangha. If Ambakar did it correctly. It, be, it becomes Sangha. That's actually the top. When people think about uh, the triple gem of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, they get it to the point of, well, I don't know much about Sangha, but I know i got to study Buddha and uh, Buddhism or the Dhamma, and if I study it very well, I will wind up having the Buddha. Okay, the awakening except that they've got it actually upside down, that people are not even going to be interested in the Dhamma if they hadn't already started to wake up. Yeah, that's a, start coming out of it. And so the, the becoming a Buddha is something that we actually practice doing rather than hoping for someday in the future. And so when we look at it like that, we recognize that all the practice of the Dhamma and the mind of the Buddha are actually the same thing. The Dhamma is actually how to put your mind in the state that you can handle, just like I was talking about Daniel and his uh, steep hill a while ago. All right? Yeah. There it is. That's the whole point of it. And so um, the Sangha is then the collection of those people who have that kind of noble mind. That's what Sangha is, is that it's a collection of people who have a noble mind. And that's one of the things that we don't have in 
the West, and when I mean the West, I'm not specifically thinking of India, but it's true there, in, at least in Bombay or Mumbai. Absolutely. Uh, Romero, can I ask yes. you a question? Uh-huh. Um, so you've been doing the online sangha for like three, four years now, is it? Well, yes, with some fits and starts and whatnot like that, but it's uh, uh, it's rolling now. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there are now enough students who can get involved uh, so that the, the heavy lifting is shared by several people rather than it falling on the shoulders of one person, because then when one person is doing too much, they begin to think of this is mine. Yeah. When several people are sharing it, they get the idea that, oh, this is ours. And, um, yeah, have you uh, been able to to get anyone to your level uh, to begin teaching as well, just out of curiosity? I know, like, three, four years is a short time. Just out of curiosity. That's... That actually, I would say that I have two students that I am strongly, strongly encouraging in teaching. And who okay. are those students? Well, that's Scott and Danny. Okay, those are the okay. two who, who have t- uh, started taking on a teaching role. But more to the point, I want a whole lot of people to start spending time with with people who have been Buddhist their whole lives, most specifically those who have de- devoted or dedicated or are enthusiastic for their whole life, like becoming ordained. Especially if you're ordained uh, around people who are ordained for a long time, you find a whole different world, a whole different environment. And so I strongly recommend to the students, and not only that, but for for the sake of the Open Sangha Foundation, I also encourage each one of them to write something up about their experiences at the Watt. And the idea is to get people into the Watt so that the the better kind of training can be done by Thai monks, not me, okay? And that right now we have two of such situations uh, in that regard, and that is, is that uh, um, Eric has already become Samanen. He's already got the first level of ordination done, and he just came in July. He's been here since July, but he was also oh, well. spending about six months in a wad in uh, Seattle, Washington before that. Okay. And then the other one is Robert. Robert has just come out of uh, uh, a retreat at Tadipabawan and has uh, uh, met with Achan Po and Dhamma Bitu. And it looks like that Dhamma Bitu is taking him under his wing. Dhamma Bitu is the main Western teacher now at Watso and Mok. And so Robert is at Watso and Mok now with uh, Dhamma Bitu. And Achan Dhamma Bitu, by the way, he's been a, um Englishman, but he's been a monk now 29 years. Wow. And is that the, the same abbot as the one in Royat? Yes, this is the one that, no, that's where Eric is. Eric oh, is Eric. at the one in, in Royat. Uh, I see, I see. 
and, and he has sent quite a number of photos. It looks like that he, that he was around someone that had a camera because there's a lot of photos of him in various things. And also, I can tell the difference between which photos were taken at Watson Hall and which photos were taken at the temple I've never been to in Royette. Uh, okay, so um, anyway, that's Sangha for you. Because uh, there, let's use just a, a simple idea of either mathematics or music. Either one of them, every good student of mathematics was, has had several teachers throughout his time. Music is the same way. Sports is the same way. We have various trainers at various times to bring ourselves up to the athletic ability. Okay, it takes a whole lot of professors to help a student come up to PhD physics quality knowledge of uh, uh, telescopes, etc. Right? We need several teachers. And yet in Hindi, we have this idea of all oh, the Satguru. And everybody is around the Satguru, maybe hundreds of people, and yet nobody gets close to the Satguru because he, even his best students are not good enough teacher for me. And part of that is the Satguru, due that tradition, has not developed the Sangha that needs to be developed under him. And sometimes that happens, uh, and sometimes it doesn't. It's kind of haphazard in Hindi. And after all, going back to Jokowanke, it wasn't part of his early tradition. He was Jain. And the Jains do have a, uh, a kind of Sangha, but it's not open. That you really have to stay in Jane in order to get that. And he had left the Jain, I think, pretty early. I'm not sure about that part of his history. But uh, he comes back all Buddhist and everything, and so uh, uh, stopping his uh, Burmese uh, experience and go ordain as a Jain monk may have been a better thing for him to do to get some uh, interconnections between the Jain and, and the Buddhism, because after all, they've got their brothers and sisters anyway from that same period of time that the Buddha was actually a student of Mahavira who set up that uh, uh, system anyway. And so after that, he could come back and then take on the retreat model and teach. And I imagine he would have been a much better teacher as that because he was missing some of the key ingredients. Sorry about that, but that's not necessarily a criticism. It's a matter of circumstances. Hmm. And I'm really glad that Gowanka is out there teaching what he's teaching as and the students who are devoting their time and effort. Everybody who's in that racket already knows the value of what is being taught there. It's just got some, let us say, some holes. It's more like Swiss cheese. <laughs> I, let me say something. I, I actually had a question about this, which is that um, I found that like, in the Goenka retreat, there was no, as in all of the retreats, the practice was important. Obviously, as you said, there are holes and each student kind of independently has to use their brain and kind of like maneuver through the different assistant teachers, different points of view. Someone will say something, someone will say something else in the next retreat and you're like, wait, what's going on? But then 
kind of Google it and you do various things and you figure out certain answers. And you find Dhammarato and you find others and <laughs> on the, the Dhammat giving certain answers. Mm-hmm. I, I had a question about a particular topic, which is uh, kind of, I, it kind of bothered me a bit for a long time. And it was this whole, uh, I don't want to call it an obsession. That's a little bit of a harsh word, but about the stages of insight. Because um, I felt like I didn't know anything about this in the Goenka tradition. They didn't speak of it. But I felt that there was this certain pressure, like once I started looking at people talking about it, that, you know, this, uh, some people like, you know, saying that, like, you know, uh, trying, I mean, codifying the, pro- I mean, I, I'm guessing for, an, for a noob like myself, like a novice, uh, you know, it puts a lot of pressure to know that am I at which stage I'm at and like, Oh, got it. Okay. All right. So let's take that as a a short topic and we'll take it on later uh, in a more full way. But um, the point, the first point is, is that there were no 16 stages of insight in the time of the Buddha. That that it got started with the Pesidi Maga, which is about the third century AD, and then got full blown into 16 stages of insight in the Vasudhi Maga, which was written about 500 AD. And that the Burmese, like the Sri Lankans, are very much into, in fact, it's a Sri Lankan influence on Burma about that Vasudhi Maga because it was written locally, it was written in Sri Lanka. And the reason that it was written there is because they already had all of the archives of everything written down. They had been accumulating that for hundreds of years, and, but it wasn't very well organized. And so uh, uh, Acharya um, Buddhaghosa, who was Brahmin, by the way, Brahmin through and through, went to um, the Sri Lanka to help organize a lot of the stuff that became the commentaries. And in that, he then produced this Sudhimaga. Okay, so that's the history of that. That might be enough for you to get relief of, oh, I don't have to worry at all about uh, the 60 stages of insight. They're not even in the suttas. They didn't come out of the time of the Buddha. It was a thousand years later than the time of the Buddha. Okay, and so we don't really need to, to do very much with it at all. Because, uh, it, in fact, you probably heard also a, a kind of a talk, a relationship between the two words, Vipassana and Samatha, right? That distinction did not, also did not exist in the time of the Buddha, that this is a later thing. And in fact, the word Samatha does actually appear in the suttas and means something in particular, but the word Vipassana rarely comes out of any literature that was produced from the time of the Buddha himself. And yet they're all hot on Vipassana meditation, right? They call it that. And so um, uh, one of the ways that that we work with it here is, is that we're going to reset the whole thing, including the language that we use. Because what we actually are practicing is Anapanasati, not Vipassana, and that the relationship that we hold with Anapana, within the teaching of Anapanasati for everyone is, is that whatever the distinctions are between Samatha and Vipassana are like two, word, two wings of a bird and you have to use them both to get off the ground. 
There is no distinction between one or the other. The distinction between the two is artificial and comes by people sitting around a campfire arguing about it a thousand years after the time of the Buddha. And it's not necessary to think that way, that in fact, uh, in the suttas, it talks about the direct path. The absolute direct path is the way that it's taught, ekamaga, okay? Now, what does that mean? Well, think about a triangle that has uh, an A, a B, and a C, and the hypotenuse is between A and C, and B, C form a right triangle, and you're up at A. So, how do you get to C? Well, if you do Samatha and Vipassana separately, that means that you do the Samatha probably first and go down to B. And then you do the Vipassana all the way over to C. And we already know, because we've all had enough math to know that the shortest distance between two things is a straight line, not a side journey. And yet almost everything that we do is we do, we go to B in order to get to C when we could have gone straight to C in the first place. And that is so true in all cases, but the most obvious one is about this Vipassana versus Samatha. Now the Buddha himself did not understand the nature of the mind. And so when he was practicing, before he got to the Jains, he had already been through all the jhanas. If the Buddha refuses and rejects the jhanas themselves, by themselves, and then goes off to, to the Jains and Mahavir and spends, what, a couple of years there or so, that means that jhanas are highly overrated. They're highly overrated in uh, regards to, uh, oh, you've got to have the fourth jhana, blah, 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 and the higher numbers you have, so wait a minute, four's not enough, let's have eight, no, let's have nine. You know, that kind of mentality that Westerners have, always looking for more and more and more. And yet the suttas specifically say that the first jhana is the key. Now, the first jhana is the key to enlightenment. If you can be in first jhana all the time, you're in a state of sukha, you're in a state of pleasure, which is exactly opposite of the dukkha, and that's his whole teaching anyway, is dukkha, dukkha, dorota, get out of it. May I ask when you're fully out of the dukkha, you're in first jhana. You don't need anything more than to be able to control your first jhana. I wanted to ask you what the first jhana is, because that's a little bit, I'm not it sure. Has, it has six attributes in some suttas and five attributes in other suttas. The distinction or the difference, that sixth one, is the body is relaxed. Okay, so even though it's left out of many of the definitions, you would expect that that would be a good thing to add. That in fact, that step four of Anapanasati, which Goenka talks about, the relaxation of the body. This done through the scanning, which is actually the experience of the body, except that he's got it done in a very stylized way. So we're going to practice third step Anapanasati, or the third item on the list, quite frequently. It's a great deal part of the practice. We need to get into doing that but doing in a natural way in the sense of the intention is to find where we're not relaxed and relax it there. 
other than scanning. You see, the uh, Goenka doesn't hardly even talk about this relaxation, finding the tension and relax. He does a little bit, but not as that's the intention that the students begin to think that all oh, I have to be able to scan and scan and scan and get better at scanning and scanning and scanning until I get this white sheet kind of uh, all one glob kind of thing. And that's all there is to it. And, and in that regard, that's still missing the Vipassana part. The Vipassana part is to not just investigate the body, but to find where the tensions are, find where the non-relaxation is, and intentionally relax that. So, um, if we can then see, going back to the question of the first jhana, the first thing, which uh, that's the most important quality of the first jhana is to have the mind free from hindrances. Sutta after sutta after sutta that's mentioned. With Goenka, he only lightly touches it, but it's absolutely the first thing. And in many, many suttas, the Buddha talks about it in the sense of unwholesome thoughts. We have to have uh, the ability to see the unwholesome thoughts and then eradicate them. Throw them out. Put the mind into a gladdened state. Make the, make the mind bright. In Anapanasati, it's uh, referred to as gladdening the mind. Gladdening or brightening the mind. And we're not actually talking about necessarily changing the objects of the mind. We're talking about changing the mind state. So we investigate the mind state. Is the mind dull? Is it sharp? Is it mediocre? Is it uh, exalted? What kind of mind state do we have? Aha! Wow! This is the kind of mind state that we can have. Be able to bring the mind up by brightening it or gladdening, and we bring it up to a higher state of processing, almost like being able to make the fire hotter. So the, the state of mind is, is that the mind, is it in a state of smoldering? Is it in, uh, uh, in the stage of kindling? Is it in the stage of hot coals? Uh, or is it boring? Mm-hmm. The kind of state of mind we have is to investigate. At the same time,